The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Fire Lotus, those of you who are new, and welcome to those of you who came today. Very nice. I think there's a lot of people up on the mountain or watching what's going on on the mountain in their, on their um, live streams, but this is a live stream here at the temple. And it's an auspicious day. Uh, we're beginning a 90-day intensive training period that we call Ango, which means peaceful dwelling. And I'm going to introduce that to you today, since you're new, many of you, to Ango and the practice. And whether you come here or not, if you're coming, you'll be part of Ango in some way in the teachings. So it's... Um, the beginning of spring soon, how auspicious. You can see it on the tips and in the earth and in the, I don't know, what do you notice? More birds? Um, yeah, the language of nature. We, we um, started Ango yesterday with a hike with Joshin and Sanzen through Prospect Park. And we just kind of landed in the nature there got quiet, did some art practice, and just noticed the auspicious spring coming. Um, So at the monastery right now, parallel with us upstate, they're doing a Ango entering ceremony, which goes back historically till about 1200, this entry into Ango. It goes back to the time of the Buddha, and um, so it's a, an ancient, ancient, it's an old tradition, back to Shakyamuni Buddha, where during the monsoon season, the rains in India, practitioners were unable to travel because the waters would rise and the uh, pathways would, um, of pilgrimage wouldn't be available. So everyone would settle in one place. The Buddha was usually in Varanasi. Varanasi. Um, I was actually at the place where Buddha did angos, which is pretty far out, <laughs> to sit there in this place where the Buddha taught um, during ango. And what was great was a lot of his chief disciples would be traveling around, so they would get all kinds of information about practitioners all throughout the lands, and then it would come back and be shared in this one place. And they would set up a kind of university. They would have huts, temporary housing. Everyone would just stay there. And um, just really deepen into the indispensable teachings of the three treasures, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And the emphasis was both on, particularly on collective practice, as we're doing here, 
but also how one practices solitary, solitary within a collective and on one's own, in one's workplace, home, wherever you are, how to practice the Dharma. So I always try to imagine, you know, everyone in this one place where you have the Buddha (laughs) for three months just teaching constantly, right? Offering specific teachings and ways of practicing so we can be developing, actualizing our wisdom, our compassion, um, freeing our minds from entanglements, understanding what's happening in our mind, in our heart, in our body, understanding karma, cause and effect. And Buddha knew that practicing more intensely um, equals more opportunities to encounter the Dharma and be practiced, recognize the Buddha mind. The Buddha mind, which we all have, is steady and eternal. It can't be given. It can't be taken away. That we each have this awakened mind. So regardless of any fluctuations in our conditions, in our situations, this Buddha mind, this miraculous awareness that we each have is always functioning. And so Buddha was helping us to not get lost in the congestion of our mind, but to practice these attachments and kleshas, delusions, and see them for what they are and bring forth, expose that unshakable, awakened mind to verify the heart of who we are. And we do this with and for each other as well as ourselves. So we're all entering this in some way in training, some people formally. So there's a a commitment sheet to a certain number of... um, commitment in one's life to a certain number of retreats, of intensity, of contacts with teachers and the monastery or the temple. Um, And this is what's called a tradition. When this is passed on, this is a transmission of the Dharma. It's a tradition. And when we practice as a community, there's a great energetic spirit that happens as we're together. Like this morning, sit was so powerful. I don't know if you felt it. It was just so palpable, the practice that was happening. You might not feel like that inside your own mind, (laughs) but you sat still and you practiced, hopefully, what was arising seeing, letting go, and that, that has an energetic spirit that's very powerful. So this spirit of awakening that we share is wild and uh, alive, very much alive. And when we intensify, it not only touches us personally, but 
um, touches everyone and infuses this world with that mind of practice. It's the mysterious part that we can't see that calls forth on faith because we can see it happen within ourself when we practice. That's how we know we can rely upon it. And then that is that hap- that goes out further and further. So sometimes when we hear the word intensify, people panic. <laughs> so intensify doesn't equal panic. It's just to deepen our focus and have more opportunities to do that. That's ongo. But remember, it means peaceful dwelling in all that we're doing. How do we dwell peacefully? amongst the changing conditions, relax into our form. So we have different ways that we can practice this. Some of it is on what I call the internet, rather the internet. It does offer a type of connection. Buddha would have used it if it was available. And There are dangers and benefits, which we're paying attention to. You know, when we were in crisis with the pandemic, I I I hadn't even been on Zoom. I never even heard about it. I didn't even know what it was. And suddenly I'm like on Zoom like all the time. So we opened up the floodgates of, of that medium so we can be together, stay connected. We were all isolated. And so now it's at a time where we can be together and in in some ways unmasked together at certain times. And so it's good to pay attention to this medium and how we use it. So some things will be there. Now, um, throughout the centuries, there's been what we call a role model, a person who um, is making a transition in their training from perhaps a junior to a senior student or one of the disciples that was you know, there for a while and now is um, a model of practice and is developing the opportunity to go and teach in different communities, which the Buddha did. So we have a chief disciple who's probably standing in front of her teacher at this very moment um, Tenfu, Zabet Tenfu Lozal Weiner. You may have met her here. She's the French woman that may have given you beginning instruction and has been here for almost every Sunday for many decades, as well as doing other retreats. And she'll be here in the city with us, and we'll put her right up front here so you can look at her. And um, she'll be doing this for the next 30 day, uh, 90 days. And then she'll have a special ceremony at the very end. And maybe once we get to know her, maybe that's one time we will use the internet so we can all watch her in her first talk, giving her first talk, and the Dharma encounter. I think that would be kind of nice to share together. Yeah. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Um, she has yet to find the correct French baguette 
in New York City. So um, yesterday we did a service in the park and we found a baguette and put a little piece on the altar, bringing her in. I don't know if she would have approved of it, but she tries to describe what a real baguette is. So how do we live this? What's available to us? When we say we're studying the Dharma, studying, what is studying? So studying is, means there's something that deserves to be investigated through our minds, through our bodies, so we can learn. And the way the Dharma works is it's not like anything else we've encountered in the way of studying, because it's not getting information. Okay, it's the Dharma is a reality reading. It's a direct pointing to who we are. And it's not easy to see. You, you may recall in the Lotus Sutra, if you read it, the Buddha was teaching the Heart Sutra, the Prajnaparamita, the emptiness of all the five conditions, what we chanted this morning. Form is exactly emptiness. Emptiness is exactly form. That was like his first discourse on Mount Kutakutra when he decided to teach. And it's said that 6,000 people walked out because they couldn't understand. And it, went, it was so hard to accept what he was saying that they left. And Shariputra, his, one of his main disciples, was freaking out. Buddha, all these people are leaving. What should we do? What should we do? And Buddha said, let them go. Let them go. Eventually, if they can want to return, they'll, they'll wonder. It'll leave something. And they'll come back to study, which many of them did. So with the Dharma, it's hard to not depart when we don't understand something, especially today, I think. So just be prepared. I'll give you a little flavor of some of this Dharma that we'll be studying. But that it takes, it takes all of us to kind of enter it again and again. And little by little, it begins to seep in. And you begin to not just understand, but verify it, experience it directly in your zazen and then in your life and your interactions. That's where it it counts, or otherwise it's, it's useless, right? It has to be actualized. Can't just stay in our intellect. So we might understand on that level, which is good. That's a beginning. It's definitely good to intellectually understand concepts and things. But then it has to bear fruit and maturation in our being. And so just to give that time... So for um, each ango, we have a uh, topic or a theme that we focus on. And together, and uh, to get some depth, and all of the talks will contain some aspect of that, or the things that teachers are leading will focus on this theme. And we place it very at the very center of our practice for these next 90 days. 
So this spring we'll take up the theme through study of Master Dogen's fascicles, birth and death, soji, and undivided activity, zenki, as well as the Mahaparinirvana Sutta, which is the sutra on the Buddha's um, last days of the Buddha's life, the last days of the Buddha's life, and what the Buddha was teaching at that moment in those last days. Very, very powerful with his sangha around him, losing their, their main teacher. And we'll take it up through art practice, through liturgy, through Dharma talks and other teachings. Shoan wrote, in one sense, we might say the theme of birth and death holds the heart of the Dharma. To explore the transitions in our lives that often propel us into unknown territory, elicit change. That's what we'll be looking at. What is birth? What is death? My teacher, Daida Roshi, used to say, in birth, not a single atom is added or comes into being. At death, not a single atom departs. Nothing is lost. So that is what will point us to the heart of this mystery. Um, Mizumi Roshi in the Blue Cliff Record, I, it, it reminded me of this. He, um, he, pull, he mentions numerous ways to study or read a book. He said there's skimming. We all know that, skimming through. Memorizing, careful study quiet reading, reading aloud, reading with the body, reading with the mind, and reality reading. In that last kind of reading, he says, um, which is in many of the fascicles we'll be looking at, is in this mode, you yourself become the expression of what you're doing. Your life stands revealed as your very, what you're reading stands revealed as the very life, as your very life right here in this time and place. It's reality reading. We're experiencing it. And one of my favorite Zen teachers is Master Bankai, and he has one teaching just realize the unborn. That's what he says to everyone. If the student asks a question, just realize the unborn. And he says this, not a single one of you people, he's talking to us today, not a single one of you people at this meeting, at this gathering right now, is unenlightened. Right now, you're all sitting before me as Buddhas, Each of you received the Buddha mind from your mothers when you were born, and nothing else. This inherited Buddha mind is beyond any doubt unborn, with a marvelously bright, illuminative wisdom. In the unborn, all things are perfectly resolved. 
And so I also wanted to give you um, a flavor of Dogen's teaching from the two fascicles. Just short pieces. This one's from Birth and Death. So you can just open to it and just listen. This birth and death is the life of Buddha. This birth and death is the life of Buddha. If you try to exclude it, you will lose the life of Buddha. If you cling to it, trying to remain in it, you will also lose the life of Buddha. And what remains will be the mere form of Buddha. Only when you don't dislike birth and death or long for them do you enter Buddha's mind. However, do not analyze or speak about it. Just set aside your body and mind, forget about them, and throw them into the house of Buddha. Then all is done by Buddha. When you follow this, you are free from birth and death and become a Buddha without effort or calculation. Who then continues to think? This next one is from Undivided Activity. Zen Master Wan Yu said, Birth is undivided activity. Death is undivided activity. Clarify and investigate these words. What you should investigate is, while the undivided activity of birth has no beginning or end and covers the entire earth and the entire sky. It hinders neither birth's undivided activity nor death's undivided activity. At the moment of death's undivided activity, while it covers the entire earth and the entire sky, it hinders neither death's undivided activity nor birth's undivided activity. This being so, birth does not hinder death, death does not hinder birth. Another area of training that we'll focus on is art practice in the spring, which we um, each will take up a medium Um, to work with a um, prompt, an assignment on what we're working with is the contemplations of the four signs of sentient existence, of being human. Four signs that are normal, birth, aging, sickness, and death. Explore and express as many as you would like to 
the point being to receive some deepening, some depth. As spring unfolds, see the many births occurring all around you. See the endless succession of births occurring within you with each moment. Meditate on aging, change, and impermanence as it shows up in your own person and those around you and in things, in things that are alive. Turn your attention towards the many expressions of sickness, physical, emotional, spiritual, and see what else they are. Contemplate death, your own, death of others. Experience it closely within your own body and mind. In each of these contemplations, spend time in meditation and sensory contact with the living things around you. Express your close and direct experience of these aspects of life and death in your chosen medium. Master Dogen said, The coming and going of birth and death is a painting. Unsurpassed enlightenment is a painting. The entire phenomenal universe and the empty sky are nothing but a painting. So whatever your medium, um, take it up as a painting. So all of this, um, and, you know, all of our life is a creative act. We're in a creative process, continuous, continuous creative process. So don't get nervous, like, thinking of art practice, like you have to... um, produce something that you've seen at the Rubin or the Guggenheim or um, because you'll just freak out (laughs) and you won't and some of us flow in that realm but some of us we stopped a long time ago we got really nervous about it and we were told something didn't look like something it's it's not about that right it's just opening that gate of expression trusting that gate of expression and I'll be offering every most every Friday sessions on Zoom, 10.30 to noon. If you want to join, you work in your own home studio. I give some prompts around the subject that we'll be working with. You can come in at any time. So you can stay as long as you'd like to um, or join us for the whole session. It's 10.30 to 12, most every Friday, except Sashin when I'm in the intensive. So all of um, what is offered is a means to support each other and our practice. Skillful means, we call it. Skillful means is we need to make it skillful in and of itself. It's just something, but we make, we use it. We make it skillful to help us open something within ourselves to enter the realm of the Dharma which is the safest place to be at any time. And by that I mean whatever we encounter, whatever difficulty, whatever depression, whatever happiness, that if we're whatever suffering, 
if we don't waste that, if we can bring it to the Dharma, that it's coming to us in our miraculous awareness to be seen, and that we're seeing it, we're experiencing it, we feel it, that's good news. It doesn't always feel good. We know this. There could be a lot of discomfort we're experiencing. And often we try and think something's wrong, or we have to fix. And the Dharma is teaching us a way to be with ourself, to not perpetuate the suffering. We will experience pain that comes along with being human. We share that. But the suffering is what we can look into and the ways that we can lessen and, and not prolong or, or continue to put kerosene on that, what's happening. And we have each other and connection to explore that and ask questions about and learn about. This is the gift of the Dharma that you stepped into if it's your first time. What is the self? Who are we in each moment? The many births and deaths of thoughts and experiences. The Buddha Dharma is medicine. It is the safest place to be within this truth of uncertainty that our lives are, right? We have to get Pema's, Pema Chodron, I, th- I swear, every title of her book is the whole discourse, right? So she calls one of her books, Comfortable with Uncertainty. That's it. Because it's, it's the reality in front of our eyes, as we know, is unchanging. I could pull anyone off the street right now and just say, you know things change, and they'll say, uh-huh, yeah. Now, we can understand that intellectually, but emotionally, rough. could be very hard. Hard to let go. Hard to see. Takes time. And I found this beautiful teaching on this by Thani Sarubhiku, which I wanted to share with you, and I'd like to speak about more through the Ango. And he um, offered this short reflection that's often chanted in Theravadan monasteries. Um, In the English standard English, it says, in part, I am subject to aging, subject to illness, subject to death. And then there is, uh, he says, there's a standard Thai translation, which is much more pointed. Aging is normal for me. Illness is normal. Death is normal. Sickness is normal. And he continues to say that these things are normal for everyone, no matter where we are. To be born in any world is to be born into a place where these happenings are normal. They lie in wait right here in the body that at birth we laid claim to, this is him speaking, and the world around us is full of things that set off, that can bring these happenings out into the open at any time. Each night in the training schedule we chant, let me respectfully remind you, life and death are of supreme importance, that time swiftly passes by and opportunity is lost, 
and that each of us should strive to awaken. Awaken, take heed. Do not squander your life. And so the theme we are studying is to reflect on every day to keep us heedful of the fact that these occurrences are to be expected and are not an aberration. So we can prepare for them. We can prepare for them now. Right? He says we tend to forget and our illusions of safety when they're challenged often lead to unrealistic desires for absolutely safety that can cause us to create unnecessary dangers for ourselves and people around. It's often an overlooked feature of Buddha's teachings that he identified the basis for all our good and skillful qualities as heedfulness, not innate goodness or compassion, but heedfulness. (coughs) Take heed, pay attention to, take notice of, to recognize that there, this is him speaking, that there are dangers both within and without, and that our actions can make the difference between suffering from those dangers. Not that we better get our act together now, but rather to know that this is the heedfulness that makes us generous, wise, and kind. This kind of paying attention is the kind of heedfulness that makes us generous, wise, and kind when we pay attention to what actually happens. Kind not because we're innately kind. In fact, our minds are so quick to change that our mind is not, is not innately anything, good or bad, aside from being aware. If we're heedful, We're kind not only when others are kind to us or make us feel safe. We're kind because we see that kindness is the safest course of action, even in the face of the unkindness of others. Take heed. This is why Buddha told his disciples when they were ready to go off and sit in the forest, in the wilderness, to face some of the dangers there, which there were, so they could overcome complacency, become resourceful in dealing skillfully with threats to their physical and mental well-being. So we don't have to go into the wilderness. We can just go out the front door. (laughs) We're in a kind of wilderness here of sorts to learn to bring out the best qualities even, especially when confronted with the worst that the wilderness may have to offer. And some of the most moving passages in the Pali Canon, which are the words of the Buddha or the words of disciples in the wilds, um, that the best way to keep their minds safe was to take, pra- take refuge in practicing the Dharma. And of course, Buddha didn't send them there right off the bat, you know. It was like a parent who provided safety, who provided a foundation of teachings 
because they were just getting started in their practice life. And then gradually we get acquainted with that. And then, and we, then we have skills. So as we practice the Dharma, we get the skills to encounter. And this is why so many of Buddha's teachings deal with issues of safety and danger. Recognizing what true danger actually is. And what safety is. What true safety is. And knowing how to best find true safety both within conditions and beyond them. And he didn't, of course, limit these teachings to monastics. He taught them to all students, lay, ordained, because wilderness is not the only place where difficulty and danger abound, where things are happening. And the monastics are not the only ones who can endanger themselves or others, holding to unwise, unrealistic notions about it. So, the best way to keep our mind and heart safe is to take refuge in practicing the Dharma. So, that's our ongo, and what we'll have plenty of opportunities to do. Um, So, I wanted to end with a poem by Dogen called Auspicious Beginning of Spring, which is March 20th. And this was written in 1247. And then we're going to do an opening ceremony here where everyone will have... I wanted to tell you about Ango first so you can make your offering in your way whether you're practicing formally or informally, or just what you want to bring into this world and, and for yourself. That's what you can invoke with your mind as you make an offering, if you'd like to. And we'll chant the uh, Jizo Shingon Dharani. We put a Jizo up, up there. Jizo Bodhisattva. A Bodhisattva is one who um, stays in the world to offer um, their life, their practice, for the benefit of all beings, to be free from suffering, and will stay in this world for as long as it takes to do that, won't, won't depart. And so Jizo was the guardian of um, people on pilgrimage to practice the Dharma, um, protector of children, protector of of Dharma practitioners and and babies and mothers and all practitioners. So in all realms of existence, at the top of that that staff is six rings, the six realms. And as Jizo walks, they, they jiggle that so they can bring the attention to all beings in any realm. Okay, so that's jiggling right now. And um, here's the poem by Dogen called Auspicious Beginning of Spring. Homage to the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha treasures, how auspicious. The beginning of spring, how auspicious. 
the one house of the ancestral teachers and lineage. How auspicious. The Buddha Dharma prevailing widely. How auspicious. How auspicious. The monastery gate propers. How auspicious. When many disciples assemble to meet themselves and to encounter the moment, the world comes and honors our way. How auspicious. How auspicious. How auspicious. The beginning of spring. How auspicious. The beginning of spring. How auspicious. How auspicious. The founding of this temple. How auspicious. The founding of this monastery. Ehe. How auspicious. So, Fire Lotus. How auspicious. We have this on State Street. 2,500 years later to practice the Dharma together. So let's do it. Let's enter. Let's make our offerings and, and then we'll end this day with some refreshments. I think the sun's out. And uh, so we'll begin. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.